We're going to continue on prayer. Uh, that was the intent last Sunday morning, but I was waylaid by a cold. Uh, we're going to, the dates are now off, but we're going to talk today about what to say uh, when you pray. We're going to look at four, maybe uh, add two additional lessons. There's so much that can be said about prayer, but probably add a couple lessons on prayer as the series goes along. But we want to come <clears throat> to terms not only with what prayer is, but how to pray as God wants us to pray. And I think probably one area of our Christian lives that we want that we want the same thing God wants is to, to be better at prayer. Not that it's some skill or some art form. We're not trying to be uh, uh, elaborate in our prayers. We're not, in fact, Jesus said, don't babble on. He said, uh, don't try to impress others with what you pray for. But we all want to improve our communication to God. And God emphasizes the importance of our communication to Him. So us looking at teaching on prayer uh, simply works towards what our goal should be, that is, to pray more to God and pray effectively and pray the way God would like us to pray and that our lives might be uh, strengthened. Just a brief review on prayer, some of the most fundamental thoughts about uh, prayer. Mary Gale has... Uh, yeah, go ahead now. Go ahead now. Uh, these are uh, your, your in-class homework assignments but uh, where you can take notes as we go along. But... A brief review of prayer is we just have to make sure we know what prayer is. Uh, prayer, biblically, is always direct communication with God. Prayer is never self-talk. Uh, one of the challenges of our culture today is prayer is getting watered down. We'll talk about thoughts and prayers in just a second. But a lot of times prayer, in fact, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes my prayers, I've caught them being where I'm kind of talking to myself. And I'm kind of telling myself, here's what I want to be stronger at, and here's what I'd like to do. And, and it's easy to find ourselves talking to ourselves. Or sometimes in public prayer, it's easy to find ourselves talking to the group because you're taking on standing like you're speaking to the group, and instead of speaking to God, you're kind of speaking to others what you'd like them to do. And preachers many times are the worst at that because they don't transition from speaking to um, God from speaking to the congregation. So prayer is not self-talk. Uh, you're not talking to yourself, trying to encourage each other. You're speaking directly to God. You're, if you're indirectly encouraged by doing that, obviously that's a good thing. But remember, you're speaking to God. It's always direct communication to God. And prayer is also not thoughts and prayers. I think everyone means well when they say our thoughts and prayers are with you, but that's kind of evolved into simply saying to people that, we're thinking about you and we're concerned about you, which is a good thing. But if you leave that moment and you never do pray for that person, and they might even fall out of your thoughts, but especially if you don't pray for them, it's probably not a good thing to say your thoughts and prayers are with someone because not only have you not done anything for them, uh, you've kind of trivialized or you've minimized prayer. And I can do the same thing. So always remember what prayer is. It's direct communication with God, not self-talk. Or, it's not thoughts and prayers, it's simply good intentions. Also, prayer is expected by your God. We don't see prayer commanded, uh, per se, in Scripture, even though you could probably interpret some instructions on prayer as being commands. I, I wouldn't argue against that. But prayer is presented in Scripture, it's simply expected by God's people. It's expected that they would pray, and we'll see that highlighted in Matthew 6 when we turn to it in just a moment. Prayer is essential to your identity as a Christian. 
Uh, it's hard to fathom the idea of a Christian not praying. Communication with God goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and weaves its way all throughout Scripture. And then it's highlighted in the New Covenant is something that can be done on the basis of Christ's sacrifice for us. And it's simply an expectation in Scripture that we pray because it shapes our identity. It shows our dependence upon God, not only for physical blessings, but for spiritual growth. It's essential to our life. And it's also essential to our influence. Uh, Non-believers really will not sit for a sermon. They often will not attend church, but they do give a lot of attentiveness to you saying that you will pray for them. Uh, Many times non-believers will ask, will you pray for me if they know we're a believer? If they don't think we're serious or we're hypocritical, they're not going to ask us to pray for them. But many times they will ask us, could you pray for me? But even more so, if you offer to pray for them about something they've had the courage to share with you, that is a prime opportunity to share your faith and to ask for God's blessing upon their life. So prayer is critical to our influence with non-believers. So it could not be any more important is essentially what I'm saying. But we always have to remember what it is and why it's important. Well, this morning we're going to look at what do you say when you pray? What do you say when you pray? A closer look at the Lord's Prayer and ours. We'll look at two places in just a moment. In fact, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we'll look at Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. And we'll also spend some time in Luke chapter 11, the second place where the Lord's Prayer is recorded. But prayer to God is a staggering thought if you think about it. Um, I get nervous just going to my principal's office. Uh, She is a firm leader of our school. And I don't hobble up the stairs and just flippantly go into her office and just start rattling on things. I think about what I'm saying. I make sure I make it concise. And think about that. Any important person you've ever approached, you probably approach them by thinking about what you say. Uh, Even though sometimes spontaneity is really good, you don't want to over-prepare, but you do want to think about what you say when you go to someone important. When you go to your doctor, you don't want to spend 20 minutes talking about what you thought you felt maybe Tuesday in your left leg or right thumb. You want to kind of have in mind because you want them to take you seriously. So you want to describe your affliction in a serious way. Those that propose in marriage, they think about what they're going to say before they propose. If you've ever attended a funeral service and you've been asked to speak, you prepare. We prepare for important situations and for important people. And how much more so when we pray to the God of this universe. The one who created us, the one who knows our thoughts and knows what we're going to say before we say it. Knows our actions, that cares about us more than anyone else. The one who can do more for us than anyone else. If we consider people important and prepare for speaking to them, how much more so our God So if someone's committed to that thought, I want to prepare before I speak to God, how do you prepare? Where do you start with prayer? And that's a very legitimate thought because you don't want to just start off just saying stuff and you don't want to end up just having thoughts and prayers, but you never really communicated with God. Well, the Lord's Prayer helps us tremendously. It's one of the most familiar parts of Scripture. Along with Psalm 23, probably the Lord's Prayer is most recognized by non-believers as something that Jesus prayed. 
It's something that's very accepted. If someone goes into the Lord's Prayer, uh, people will immediately usually get reverent. They have great respect for what Jesus prayed for. Not too long ago in uh, my history classes, uh, we were covering 9-11 and what happened on that day. And uh, I showed the movie called Flight 93. Remember, Flight 93 is the one, uh, the four aircraft on 9-11 that uh, the passengers recognized what was happening and they were able to subdue the hijackers. Eventually, though, sadly, the plane crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, but those on board were considered heroes. Well, one of the documented things that happened shortly before they decided to uh, press towards the cockpit of the airplane and take over the hijackers is Todd Beamer, who was on the phone with the United Airlines representative, asked her to pray the Lord's Prayer with her, uh, or with him. And she did so. She was able to recall it. And right after that prayer was uttered, uh, they swarmed the front of the plane and, and acted very heroically. But clearly that prayer gave them strength, knowing that that was the beginning of the end of their lives most likely. But they needed to do something to protect others. Let's go ahead and look at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. I want to first see this thought. Um, the Lord's Prayer is a starting point. The Lord's Prayer is a starting point. Let's just read it. Uh, it's in, first of all, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. It appears in chapter 6. And it's within a section where Jesus is correcting wrong understandings about how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer is in a section where Jesus is correcting wrong understandings about how to pray. Let's begin with verse 5, Matthew 6. Jesus says, and when you pray, just pause there, there's the expectation, not if you pray. He doesn't say, well, if you're a praying person. These are believers he's talking to, believers in God. He simply says, and when you pray. Okay, so verse 5 again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. <clears throat> Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will, we, will reward you reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, there it is three times, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9 now, here's the prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just pause here. Most of our versions stop at this point. We're probably familiar, though, with the King James Version that 
based on the manuscripts they use to translate the Bible into English. Uh, they have the additional part for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Later, Bible translations do not have that. But this is, in essence, the Lord's Prayer. But how are we to understand it? First of all, it's recorded in two places, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and then Luke 11, 1 through 4. Go ahead and keep your place here in Matthew 6 and go forward to Bible books to the book of Luke. Here's the second appearance of this prayer. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's in a completely different setting. So it appears that in two different settings, Jesus taught about how to pray. Luke chapter 11, 1 through 4. And this is very different. In Matthew 6, it was Jesus in a series of teachings correcting wrong understandings. But here in Luke 11, look at the different setting. Verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Okay, first of all, notice how they're different. Two completely different settings. One, the Sermon on the Mount. One is on the occasion of Jesus himself praying. His disciples observed him praying. And they probably saw that this praying was different than the praying that they saw by perhaps some of their religious leaders. And they knew that John the Baptist had taught his followers on how to pray. And they simply asked Jesus, could you teach us to pray? Which is interesting. This is the only thing Jesus' disciples ever ask him to teach them. He spent a lot of time correcting them as they wrongly responded to situations. And they asked questions at times. But this is the only thing they ever ask him to teach them. That is how to pray. Clearly they saw something different in Jesus praying than what they'd seen in the praying of others. And they seem to understand this is a way we should be praying as well. Uh, verse 2 of Luke 11, he said to them, when you pray, say. Um, in the Matthew account that we'll go back to in just a moment, um, Jesus says, uh, this is how you ought to pray. But here in Luke 11, he actually says, say, implying that these words could be prayed just as he gives them out. But they're different. Um, even with the same translation, I use um, today's new international version. Um, the, the prayers are different, uh, which is very important. This prayer does not appear to be something Jesus ever intended to be a memorized rote prayer that had exact, precise wording. Because one, he taught it differently in two different places, though the core understanding is the same. But the wording is different. So it was never biblically expected to simply be, here's something you memorize and this is the only way it was ever taught. What's also interesting about this prayer is it's never called the Lord's Prayer by Jesus. He never says, well, let me teach you the Lord's Prayer, which happened to be my prayer. Uh, that's something that just evolved uh, as kind of a heading 
that people that did translation work put into the biblical text. Historically, through religious tradition, the Lord's Prayer was given as a name to this. But Jesus didn't say, well, this is the Lord's Prayer, or this is my prayer even. He just says, this is how you ought to pray, or this is what you should say. We never find Jesus praying this prayer, which is interesting if it's called the Lord's Prayer. He taught others, this is how you ought to pray, or, or what you can say, but he, we, at least we have no record of it, ever prayed this prayer himself, nor did anyone else in the New Testament. If it was prayed, we don't have a record of it. Which is not to minimize the prayer at all. It's simply to put it in its proper place. It was not designed to be the only prayer. It was not so precisely worded that you had to say it just right for it to be effective. And we find a host of other prayers in the Bible. Uh, prayers prayed by apostles who had direct revelation of Jesus to them. So there was an understanding that there were prayers beyond this prayer. But this prayer could be considered a starting point for prayer. Because that's what it was to Jesus as he taught his disciples who asked how to pray. Again, a, this is a prayer that Jesus taught his followers to pray. So since we are followers of Jesus today, we ought to take notice just like Jesus' disciples did. That there's some very important things in this prayer that perhaps ought to be the foundation of all of our prayers. First of all, it is a prayer to pray. Don't think you can't pray it or because it's worded differently, you don't know what to pray. This is clearly a prayer that you can pray. In fact, as I said a couple weeks ago, if, if you find yourself wanting to pray one morning or one evening and you just don't know how to begin, or your emotions of that day are just frozen where the words just don't come out, feel free to biblically go to this prayer and pray it, even if you're reading it from Scripture. Uh, this is the one prayer you can be sure you can pray. And James says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And you cannot go wrong with this prayer unless somehow you minimize it and you're just kind of saying the words while you're trying to watch TV or, or you're thinking about what you're going to do next. If you do that, that takes away the power of this prayer. But clearly this is a prayer that you can pray. So for that reason, it has tremendous value. second reason is this prayer tells us what's important to God. Jesus says, this is how you ought to pray in Matthew 6. And then he says here in Luke, say this. So clearly, if the Son of God is saying this is what we ought to express, we cannot go wrong. And also, it gives us direction in prayer. So this prayer is of tremendous value. So first, it's a prayer that we can pray. It's a prayer of tremendous value. It, we, it shows us what's important to God and... It shows us what should be important to us. We're going to break this prayer down in just a moment to see some very important things that we're expressing to God, which should help shape our prayers if we find ourselves uncertain about what to pray for, or if we find ourselves just drifting off and kind of rambling on. Um, this will redirect us all the time. It's a starting point. I think that's the best way to understand it. It's a starting point for prayer. Go ahead and turn it back to Matthew 6 now. We will spend the rest of our few moments uh, in Matthew 6, this version of the prayer. It's a longer one. Yeah, probably the more familiar teaching on prayer. 
in contrast to Luke 11. Here's our second main point is concerning the Lord's Prayer, is that the Lord's Prayer reveals important foundations. The Lord's Prayer reveals important foundations for prayer. And this is not the only prayer you can pray. Uh, there's a lot of prayers in the Psalms that express far more to God. There's other prayers prayed by apostles, mainly the Apostle Paul, uh, that are quite different from this, that include other things. But this prayer provides a foundation by showing us what's important to God and what should be important to us. And there's five things. There's five things that I think stand out in this prayer. Here's the first one. As far as an important foundation, it's reverence for God. All prayers ought to begin with supreme reverence for God. Verse 9 of Matthew 6, as the prayer begins, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very beginning of this prayer that Jesus teaches his followers is one, the prayer is to be prayed to the Father. We're not talking to ourselves. We're not speaking like we would be to a buddy. We're not even praying to Jesus, as important as that is at times. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. So this shapes us immediately as we think about what we're doing. That we don't want to go into prayers uh, nonchalantly. We don't want to go into prayers casually. Now, yes, we can cry out, as Paul taught in Romans 8, verse 15, Abba, Father. The word Abba is a very personal way of describing a father. And our Father is our friend. And our Father, our Heavenly Father, wants to be close to us. But He doesn't want us flippant with Him. Where we just start out, Oh God, help me! <laughs> um, the other day I was listening to a prayer where a preacher was getting ready to start a Bible class. And you could tell his mind was on the Bible class. And he just went into the prayer like, God, and I don't want to disparage what he was praying. But I kind of got a sense that he, as many preachers, had become too comfortable with praying. And too comfortable with the fact that you're coming into the presence of the Almighty God and you just don't start throwing out stuff and enter into it just like I don't walk into my principal's office with no thought and just plop down the chair in front of her and just start saying stuff. I enter with reverence. I knock first. I make sure she's not distracted. I make sure I know why I'm there and I'm not going to be there 20 minutes with unstructured thought trying to share what she might need to know. Yes, God is always there to listen. And He wants to hear our words, but enter every prayer with great respect. And this prayer shows us how to do it. Dear Father in Heaven, Creator of this universe, Judge of all mankind. I, I try to, in my personal prayers, think of some of the descriptions of God and express those before I ever take my own personal needs or my own wants to the Father in prayer. I make sure I address Him properly. Not only because I'm told to, but because it helps shape everything because He is the God who knows all things and can do all things in my circumstance. And I'm not just telling a work buddy my thoughts. Or I'm not just sharing with a family member things that I can just start out right on the phone with. You begin things differently with the Heavenly Father. 
We pray to the Father. And we pray with great respect. When it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to hold in reverence. Just like we might address someone as sir. Or we might formally speak to someone who is the president of a country. When we speak to the Father, it's not that He wants us to be fancy or elegant or overly dignified in our words, but He does want us to enter His presence respectfully and not casually or flippantly. So hallowed be His name. Our Father God, I come to You in prayer now knowing that You see everything and You know everything. You're the God of all compassion. You're the God of mercy and justice. And as we spend time expressing things like that, that's a way that we enter into prayer with great reverence for God. Secondly, this prayer teaches us respect for God's will. Respect for God's will. This seems somewhat of obscure initially, and it it is, until we kind of see how it's used in Scripture. Uh, Verse 10, the second thing after, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First of all, what does it mean that he says, your kingdom come? A lot of times we think of God's kingdom coming, we think about the kingdom of heaven. And there is a place for that. There's at times where heaven is described like a kingdom. But most often the idea of the kingdom of God coming is the idea of the reign of God coming or the rule of God in the lives of people. That is, God takes His rightful place as Lord. He is our Master. He is the one who directs all of our actions, our thoughts, our motives. He constantly is shaping us, telling us right from wrong, telling us go to the left or to the right. Everything emanates from God the Father. So when we say, your kingdom come, it's the idea of a king coming to rule over his subjects. And we are the subject, or the subjects of the great king, the Father, our God eternal. So when we say, your kingdom come, we're simply asking that God's rule come. Or we're inviting God to take his rightful place in our life. Our spouse doesn't have that place. Our boss doesn't. Our parents don't. Our children don't. The only one who has a right to rule over us is our Heavenly Father. But we agree to that rule. So when we pray, your kingdom come, and then notice what comes next, your will be done. We're expressing not only God's right to rule, but whatever He thinks best is what we think will be best for our lives. Think about times you go to the doctor. Now, we've been on to a lot of medical web pages. We've seen YouTube videos, but I don't know how many of us just go into the doctor's office to tell those who have spent years in medical school, well, here's the way I think you ought to do it. And I, well, I read this on YouTube, and uh, my Aunt Mildred in Milwaukee said this, and, and she read this article, and we don't do that. We listen to the doctor. We might not always like the prescription or the, the plan they have for us, but we understand that they know more than we do. And they want what's best for us. And we listen. And we know we better do what they recommend and not take it lightly. 
That's just a little glimpse into understanding how we approach God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, John taught in 1 John uh, chapter 5, um, if we pray anything according to His will, He hears us. It's very important that we acknowledge, Lord, you might have another plan for my life. Or Lord, we know that you might, for reasons I don't know, want me to stay in this situation longer than I want to stay in it. And young singles sometimes have to pray the prayer, well, Lord, this person may not be the one you want for my life, but your will be done. We're constantly expressing, Lord, here's what... I think is best based on your word. But I know, Lord, what you know is best should prevail. So when we pray, your will be done on earth, that is in my life, and in the world in which I live, as it is in heaven, that's a supreme acknowledgement that your heavenly Father's thoughts and his ways, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts which means they're best for us. Our Heavenly Father always wants what's best for us. And we acknowledge this in our prayers. My Lord, may your will be done. Number three. There's a request for daily necessities. Verse 11, Matthew 6. Give us today our daily bread. In the first century, bread was a staple part of their diet. There weren't fast food places. There weren't restaurants. You made your own food and bread was something they could make. It was an essential part of their diet. But yet very essential in that it was part of the sustenance that kept their bodies alive. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying here is when you pray for things, don't take certain things for granted. And don't think that, well, they're just always going to be there. Give us this day our daily bread. Just as we looked a few weeks ago in the lesson, to, when we pray, uh, being thankful for food and water and, and clean water at that, sanitation, freedom that we have in this country, uh, freedom to live without fear, these are things that we've learned to take for granted. But I think what Jesus is saying here, please continue to give these things to us. Because other people in this country do not enjoy them. People in this world do not enjoy them like we do here in this area. So we're simply asking, Lord, continue to provide for us. In the very small letter of 3 John, John prays to the person he wrote to, Gaius, and he says, I pray that you might be in health just as your soul is in health. It's good to pray that our health might continue or it might improve. It's good to pray, Lord, please provide food for me tomorrow and not just assume it will always be there tomorrow. We ought to appreciate everything that we have because things can leave very quickly. So make sure you pray for basic necessities of life to continue and not just go on to the things that are important to you. Lord, help me fix this problem with my neighbor. Lord, help me get my car worked on. And things. Those things will come. Or Lord, help me get over my sadness. And Those things have their place. But don't minimize the basic daily necessities of life. Number four. Request for forgiveness. Jesus taught, and forgive us our debts, to pray in this prayer, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
we're first reminded that the only way we get forgiveness is from God Himself. We don't forgive ourselves over time by doing a lot of good or we're feeling better about the bad that we've done. The only source of forgiveness for our sin is the Heavenly Father. So that is first told to us here, and forgive us our debts. We are indebted to God, though He doesn't make us pay Him back. Isn't that amazing? We are forever indebted to God for His forgiveness of our sins, but He doesn't make us pay Him back. He simply calls us to new life, into a different life than got us in trouble to start with. And because sin and temptation is a constant battle, I believe asking God for forgiveness should be part of most every prayer. Sometimes we may not think of it, but we ought to go back to it very quickly in prayer. Even if we're not sure what we might have done wrong, and there's no specific prayer or sin mentioned here, or prayer for a certain sin, but Lord, forgive me of my sins. If we know specifically what we've done, as John teaches, if we confess our sins, He is just and righteous to forgive us of our sins. We need to confess our sin, and prayer is the way we do that. But sometimes just acknowledging we're sinful in those prayers is the right thing to do. He puts it at a, at, a, at a center point. But then we're reminded, we better be forgiving others too. In fact, he goes on to teach about that after he finishes this prayer. Our prayer should reflect, uh, reflect cleansing, but we also reminded as we pray that we might be forgiven, that we have a responsibility to forgive, uh, forgive others. Number five, request for protection. Verse 13, <clears throat> Excuse me. And lead us not into temptation, <clears throat> but deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes this is misunderstood, like we're trying to prevent God from setting us up for sin. That's not what Jesus is saying the Heavenly Father does. It's not like we're praying to the Father to stop Him from setting us up. This is an expression where our ultimate desire is that we be delivered from the evil one. And the evil one in Scripture is Satan, who is very real. He's called the adversary, the tempter in other places. There's a supernatural being who has one job, that is to try to destroy us. And what we're praying for is that, that we will be delivered from this evil one. Well, what exactly are we asking for when we're praying for this deliverance? Well, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 this, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation provide the way of escape. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That is, God's going to provide a way of escape in all situations of temptation. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is pray that you might find or you might accept that way of escape. Like when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, Genesis 39, when he tried, or when she tried sexually tempting him, he just fled from the room. He just got out. And sometimes being delivered from the evil one is knowing when to run from him. Other times it's accepting wisdom on that's a situation where we better keep our mouths shut. 
or Lord, praying for wisdom, help me to say the right thing so that my anger won't prevail where I say something I can never get back. So God is not going to lead us into temptation, but the point is, He delivers us from the evil one. And a center of our prayers ought to be, Lord, help me deal with this difficult co-worker so that Satan won't rule over our relationship. Or Lord, help me do better in my marriage. Or Lord, help me be a better parent to my children. Or Lord, help me uh, to deal with my aging parents better. Or any situation where we find ourselves struggling to do the right thing. Lord, help me manage my finances better as I now uh, have more money than I've had in the past. Lord, help me to handle Satan trying to, tempting, trying to tempt me concerning how I use my money. You see the point. We pray for God's deliverance. This prayer is a starting point, and it reveals important foundational thoughts. When you have no other prayer to pray, Please pray this prayer. But as you're praying for other things, make sure to include these things regularly in those prayers. Use the Lord's Prayer as the Lord expected us to use it. And build your prayers upon its foundation. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about what else can be included in prayer that builds upon these important foundational thoughts. But this is what Jesus taught about prayer. In direct answer to those who ask him to be taught about it. And in direct teaching to those who had been mistaught about how to pray. It could not be more important. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song to encourage us to be faithful to God in all of our ways. And as children of God who have been washed free from our sin by the blood of Jesus. We have this great privilege of prayer where we can confess our sins to God in prayer. We're not required to be baptized over and over and over again every time we sin. Instead, John teaches if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. We confess through prayer. Perhaps you might need to do some confessing of prayer at home and in private as Jesus taught. Or if there's help from the body here that you would like. The opportunity is always here to find help from your brethren to pray for you.